So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 147 because we are going to learn about God today. Let me say that again because we all probably were not hit with that sentence like we should be. We are going to learn about God today. That should never get old. God has revealed himself to us. We can actually know him. We have the privilege of knowing God. Let that sink in and maybe even be flabbergasted as you're flipping the pages in your Bible to Psalm 147. We'll begin at verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So Psalm 147 is telling us that God is infinite yet intimate. God is not just big, he is also near. He is both infinite and intimate, both personal and powerful. Psalm 147 is telling us that God is boundless, that he is immeasurable. So we can't measure God, but because of Jesus, we can treasure him. We can know him. We can enjoy him. He can be found. He can be known. He can be enjoyed. He can be treasured. And the reason the infinite God can be enjoyed and can be treasured is because even though he is great and abundant in power, believe it or not, he actually cares about us. He cares about what's going on in our hearts. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is all the proof that you need that God cares about you and what's happening in your life this morning. So Psalm 147 is also telling us that tape measures don't work on God. He can't be measured. In other words, he is Infinite, And that's the undomesticated attribute of God that we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be focusing on God's infinitude. By that, we mean that he is not finite like us. He is boundless. He is immeasurable. He is without boundaries. Now, recall what we saw a few weeks ago about Uh, The theological words that begin with the letters I, in, or I, am. Anytime you see the prefix in or M attached to a word, it usually means that it is negating something. And you see this a lot with the undomesticated attributes of God. They have the prefix I, in, or I, am attached at the beginning. For instance, last week we talked about how God was incomprehensible, that God cannot fully and completely be comprehended. Or God's 
immutability. He is immutable. God cannot change. He is impassable. God does not experience emotional change. Today we're going to be looking at his infinitude, that God cannot be measured. So we have a negative concept to describe a positive quality about God. The technical theological term for this is apophatic. It's knowledge of God that is obtained through saying something negative about him, apophatic. I said that word so that y'all will think I'm really smart. Apophatic theology tells us something about God by using a negative word like infinite. But there is also cataphatic theology. Again, I tell you these big theological words so that you'll think I'm really, really smart. Cataphatic theology is knowledge about God that is obtained through affirming something positive about him. Like God is holy or God is good. Or you might say, Benji is really, really smart. That's cataphatic theology. But today we're going to be doing apophatic theology as we discuss God's infinitude. And that attribute, God's infinitude, is important as we carefully examine each of the undomesticated attributes of God. Because God's infinitude is the one fundamental principle that underlies all of them. So when we say that God is unlimited in power, that he is omnipotent, and when we say that God is unlimited in knowledge, that he is omniscient, and when we say that God is unlimited in his presence, he is omnipresent, by necessity we are saying that he is infinite, that he is eternal, unlimited, without boundaries by nature, his essence. In other words... All that God is as God is infinite. He is infinitely glorious. He is infinitely wise. He is infinitely good. He is infinitely powerful. In other words, his mercy is infinite. No boundaries. His love is infinite. No boundaries. His grace is infinite. No boundaries. His kindness is infinite. No boundaries. And our passage in Psalm 147 today affirms this about the Trinitarian God that we serve. Look at verse 4 again. We were just singing it. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. This is the God we worship, the God of Psalm 147. He actually knows how many stars there are, and he can actually count that high. But Jesus not only numbers the stars in the universe, Psalm 147 tells us that he also names each one. Now think about that. Jesus has named every single star. Now astronomers estimate that there are about, if I'm getting the information right... Astronomers estimate that there are about 200 billion trillion stars. That's about, get this, that's about 10 times the number of cups of water in all the oceans of the earth. 
10 times the number of cups of water in all the oceans of the earth. How did they get that number, 200 billion trillion stars? Well, our Milky Way has about 100 billion stars, so that in and of itself is amazing, right? 100 billion stars. So using our galaxy as a guide... We're guessing here, okay? Using our galaxy as a guide, astronomers multiplied 100 billion stars by the 200 trillion galaxies that exist, and they guess that there are around 200 billion trillion stars, give or take a little, okay? And God named every single one of them. That's a lot of names, 200 billion trillion names. That's why God is infinite. Because only an infinite God could create and then name each of the 200 billion trillion stars that he created. And that's why it's hard for us to imagine or try to wrap our minds around the fact that there are all these stars out there is because we are finite, Why do all of these stars exist way out there in outer space? Have you ever wondered, what are they doing out there? The answer is to declare the glory of God. As Psalm 19 tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That's how infinitely glorious Jesus is. He has... At least, as far as our finite minds can think, he has at least 200 billion trillion stars declaring his glory way out there in outer space. And then he has us, Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California, declaring his glory on the central coast. Us and 200 billion trillion stars declaring that Jesus is glorious. We have that in common with those stars. And what a great team we make, don't we? Us and 200 billion trillion stars. But you can't disconnect verse 4, which tells us all about these stars, from verse 3, which tells us that God heals the brokenhearted and bandages up their hurts, meaning God really, really cares. Look at verse 3 again. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Those two verses are connected. Verse 3 and verse 4 of Psalm 147 are a great team too. We're supposed to see how infinite God is in verse 4 but also how intimate he is in verse 3. He stoops down to care for us. Uh, The Hebrew of verse 3 is actually the one who heals. It's, It's a participle. Jesus is the healing one who heals the brokenhearted and bandages up their wounds. It means he is always doing this. And so, the infinite God who made and named 200 billion trillion stars is the same God who comes to you when your heart is breaking, when your marriage is struggling, when you're struggling as a parent, kids, when you're struggling to honor and respect your mom and dad. It's this God who comes to you to comfort you, to strengthen you. 
He knows the name of 200 billion trillion stars. And he also knows what is breaking your heart and what is stressing you out and what is keeping you up at night and what is hurting you. And he comes to heal your broken heart and bandage your wounds. Think about this. If he knows the stars this well and he calls them all by name, how much more does he know you and all that's going on in your heart. So at first glance, we may not think this way as we're skimming the table of contents of a systematic theology book, but God's infinitude is one of the most comforting of his attributes. God's infinity can comfort your broken heart. And it's this infinite God who also keeps track of your tears. As Psalm 56, 8 says, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I was thinking about this this morning. How many tears have I cried in my lifetime? A lot. Okay, is it, is it, is it a drop one tear? Okay, is that the, the measure then? How many tears have I cried in my lifetime? And God knows every single one. Let me ask you, does your understanding of the infinitude of God allow for him to catch every one of your tears and put them in a bottle? Does your comprehension of God's infinitude allow for him to so value your tears that they mean so much to him that he collects them in a bottle and keeps an inventory of every one of your hurts, every one of your wounds, every one of your heartaches, in a journal, in a notebook? The infinite, immeasurable, boundless God keeps track of all of our prayers. It's incredible. God is actually keeping a journal of all the things that you suffer, all of your misery, all of your pain, all of your sorrows, all of your tears, all of your needs, all of your prayers, all of your groans, and all the things that break your heart. And he records them in a book according to Psalm 56. Why? Because he cares. Psalm 147 is telling you to place your trust in God's infinite and intimate care for you. Psalm 147 is telling you that the infinite God wants to be intimate with his people. That the infinite God wants to be intimate with you and know you personally. We think of doing our quiet time, spending time with the Lord, and sometimes we're kind of like, I don't really want to do that today. And God wakes up, if you will. We know he never sleeps. Like, I get to spend time with Benji today. The Holy Spirit's like, I get to be with Benji today. That's how he approaches it. He's infinitely glorious. He has other things he could do. And he wants to be intimate with me. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants us to open his word so he can speak to our hearts. He wants us to pour our heart out to him. It's amazing. He is infinite and intimate, which means that he is powerful enough to take care of you and he is accessible. 
He holds the universe in place by his power. And yet he knows you and he knows your name. He is bigger than the biggest threat and the biggest fear that you have. And yet he is closer than your closest friend. He's not just big. He's near. He's all-powerful and deeply personal. He creates stars and he collects tears. Think about that. That would be a really cool t-shirt, wouldn't it? Oh, look, there it is. Jesus, star creator, tear collector. Thank you, Kevin, for making that. I want to make some t-shirts like that. Jesus, star creator, tear collector. I'll sell them for $100, okay? And you can buy one from me. That's your God, Christian. Star creator, tear collector. So are we really going to entertain the thought that Jesus doesn't care about us? He keeps track of every tossing, every tear. He's got a journal of them. Listen, I've been troubled many, many, like you, many, many times throughout my life, almost daily, and I've forgotten probably 99% of all the things that I was worried about, I was concerned about, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, there was stress, fear, anguish, all of those things. I've probably forgotten 99% of those things. And yet Jesus could read them all to you right now. Why? Because he cares. Because he has a book that's full of all of my cares, a book that's full of all of your cares, because he cares. That's how the infinite God rolls. And when you come to grips with the fact that Jesus made at least 200 billion trillion stars to declare his glory, you realize that the finite, that's you and me, cannot comprehend the infinite. The finite cannot comprehend the not finite. That's what infinite means, not finite. So the not infinite, that's us, cannot comprehend fully the not finite, that's God. Jen Wilkins says, a measureless God begins to upend our sense of personal awesomeness. A measureless God begins to upend our sense, our sense of personal awesomeness. I love that because you know what? I think I'm awesome. And so do you. You don't think I'm awesome. I'm saying you think you're awesome, right? We all think we're awesome, right? We all think that we are God's greatest gift to humanity. We enter every meeting we go to, every work situation, and we think, I've got all the answers, and they should be grateful that I'm here. You think you're awesome, and I think I'm awesome. And then you compare yourself to the infinite God, and you realize that you're not awesome. Jesus is infinite, immeasurable, unquantifiable, uncontainable, unbounded, and utterly without limit. And we are definitely like that. God's infinity, then, is one of the most difficult of God's undomesticated attributes for us to conceptualize. It makes our brain hurt to think that there is no end to him. 
That's why it upends our own sense of personal awesomeness because no one's brain hurts when they think of us. No one sits around thinking of you like, I can't believe they're that. They're awesome. They're so awesome. Oh my God, I can't even fathom how awesome they are. Wow. No one sits around and thinks of you that way. But we sit around and try to think of God that way. We're like, oh, it makes my brain hurt. He's infinite. When you try to think of God's infinitude, it can make your brain hurt because he is infinitely awesome. And so it is nearly impossible, nearly impossible for us to think of this three-person God who has no limitations. The Trinitarian God that we love and serve, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, cannot be contained in space, cannot be contained in our minds, cannot be contained in our systematic theology books, cannot be contained in any other place. Nothing can trap him, nothing can contain him, nothing can back him into a corner. And that's why, if you woke up this day wondering, that's why Psalm 147 is in your Bible. To humble you and to encourage you and to comfort you and to remind you that God is not like you at all. It's in the Bible to remind us that God is infinite yet intimate. Herman Bovink said, I love the way he described God. He is a boundless ocean of being. That's great imagery. He is a boundless ocean of being. Which means that God cannot be counted or measured in any way. In fact, there is no end to his being. There is no end to his perfections. There is no place that God does not exist As David tells us in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, and I think David wants us to read it this way, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your right hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. When we say that God is infinite, we are saying that we cannot get away from him. If we ascend to heaven, boom, there he is. If we go down into the grave, into Sheol, even if we go down into hell itself, boom, there he is. Listen, people say that hell is separation from God. It's separation from the loving heart of God. It is not separation of God. God is going to be there in hell pouring out his wrath upon unbelievers for all eternity. Hell is not separation from God. Hell is separation from his loving heart. He is going to be there. You can't get away from God. So there is no place anywhere in this universe or in the spiritual realm or in the afterlife where God does not exist. In fact, there is no place where there is nothing because God fills all reality. There is no spot in the universe where there is nothing because God is everywhere. So there's no empty space 
out there in space or anywhere because God fills all reality with his presence. As Paul says in Ephesians 1, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God's being fills everything. He created heaven and earth. But please understand that he does not need heaven and earth in order to be the infinite God. He doesn't need anything outside of himself in order to be. We'll look at that next week. He fills everything, but he cannot be contained by what he fills. He is not contained by what is not God. But when we say that God's being fills everything, we are not saying that God is everything because that's pantheism, the belief that everything is God. We're not saying that. God is not everything, but he is everywhere and he fills all things. In other words, you can't escape God. Which is why what Jonah did was really silly. Jonah needed to read a systematic theology book on the infinity of Yahweh. Jonah's theology was lacking in the infinitude department. He thought he could outrun God. He thought he could get away from this attribute of God. Listen, you cannot outrun God or go anywhere where he is not. Maybe you're here today. Maybe there's somebody here today and you're running from God and you know it. And you know he's calling you and you know you shouldn't go down this path and you think, if I go down this path, I can get away from him, get away from his word, get away from his people and I can go here and there's a safe little place that I can be. Well, guess what? You're going to walk down and turn the corner and there he is and you turn around this way and there's Jesus. You cannot outrun God and if you are running from God this morning, Slam on the brakes, turn around, and you will find a gentle Savior whose arms are wide open saying, Come unto me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't run like Jonah. It's silly. It's silly for you right now to try to be running away from God. You can't get away from him. It's silly, but we all do it all the time, don't we? And it's crazy to think that we can. Old Testament scholar O. Palmer Robertson says, trying to get away from God is like trying to get away from air. In him we live and move and have our being. Surely for the person in covenant with God, it is utter folly to try to flee from him. God will never let you out of his sight. He is determined to bless you and he will keep after you until he overruns you with the blessing he intends. You can't get away from God. And get this, however far your thoughts of God can go, they will not reach God. No matter how many degrees you get in theology, you're not going to reach God. He's beyond what we can imagine. He's beyond what we can think of him. He is infinite, boundless, immeasurable, and yet... (coughs) 
This is crazy, y'all. Okay, And yet, I need a drink for this one. And yet, splashed it on my face. And yet, we are his friends. Remarkable. We are his friends. His friends. Because God is infinite, that means that we can never be his equals ever. But his infinitude and how great and massive and vast he is, his infinitude does not keep us from being his friends. We can't be his equals, but we can be his forever friends. The immeasurable, limitless, boundless God calls us friends. As Jesus himself said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You are my friends. Those four words ought to fill your heart with joy. They ought to give you goosebumps. He laid down his life for you. Be shocked by this. He chose us to be his friends. We didn't choose him. Jesus said, if you want to argue with Jesus, I wouldn't recommend it. We didn't choose him. He says, I chose you. He says, you did not, cho- you did not choose me. I chose you. He handpicked us to be his disciples, to be his friends. The incarnation of Jesus then is proof that God is infinite yet intimate. And there's no dead end with God either. We will never reach the end of God because he is limitless. He cannot be confined to any space. Solomon knew this when he prayed at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8. He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you how much less this house I have built. Yet, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Back in 1 Kings 8.13, Solomon declared, I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. But Solomon knows that the physical dimensions of the temple that he built could not actually hold all that there is to God. What Solomon means here is that God cannot be boxed. He cannot be contained. He cannot be housed in a temple made by man. 
Solomon also said that the heavens could not contain God. So certainly no building structure could. The heavens, think about that. (coughs) The heavens cannot contain God. And yet, he condescends. He cannot be contained, and yet the beauty of it, the mercy, the grace, the wonder of it all is that he condescended to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the immensity of God, and the immensity of God gets joined together with the intimacy of God, which Solomon says in verse 28, yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God. I love this about Solomon's prayer. No sooner have the words describing the immensity and the infinitude and the wonder of God, no sooner have they fallen off his lips that he interjects that little word, yet. Is God the magnificent, infinitely glorious God? Yes, but he is also the God who hears the prayers of his people and forgives them. As Ralph Davis says, Yahweh's people can never comprehend him in all the fullness of his being, but they can apprehend him in the place of prayer. So God cannot be contained, but you can attain his presence through prayer. He cannot be fully comprehended, but he can be apprehended in prayer. He is infinite, and yet he wants to be intimate with us in prayer. So God's infinitude does not destroy intimacy. But it might give you goosebumps. He can't be contained, but he can be attained. He can't be fully comprehended, but he can be apprehended through prayer. He listens to us. He listens to us. How crazy is that? He hears our prayers. The infinitely glorious triune God actually listens to us. That's amazing. I think we've just grown accustomed to this idea. It's staggering, but we've just gotten used to the idea that God hears our prayers, that it doesn't startle us anymore. This is a miracle. Solomon's talking about miracle here. The infinite God hears. The infinite God listens. And the Bible is full of passages and page after page where we read that the Lord hears our cries, that he listens to our prayers, but it doesn't stop us in our tracks anymore. We're not flabbergasted by it, and we should be. But the reason why it's on page after page of the Bible is because the writers of Scripture never took it for granted. We're not flabbergasted by it, but the authors of Scripture were. That's why they spill so much ink on it. They never got over the idea that the God of the universe actually stoops down to listen to the prayers of his people. And so we read phrases like in 1 Kings 8.28 that say, Have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. And we're like, oh yeah, Yahweh listens. Yada, yada, yada. But the author of scriptures were like, oh yeah, Yahweh listens. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Prayer has become too domesticated for us. Be amazed. God listens. 
Maybe we shouldn't be so flippant about prayer. The infinitely glorious, limitless, boundless, cannot be measured God says to us, you have my ear, let's talk. The infinitely glorious, limitless, boundless, cannot be measured God says, what's troubling you? Tell me about it at the 5.30 prayer meeting tonight. The infinitely glorious, limitless, boundless, cannot be measured God says, What's going on in that little heart of yours? Let's talk. God is infinite yet intimate. He's not just big, he's near. He's infinite and intimate, powerful and personal. He has no edges, no limits, no end. And the wonder of the gospel is that this God, in the person of Jesus, the infinite Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, he was united to our very limited human nature. He became a human being. Without ceasing to be infinite as God, he entered into our uh, finitude by taking on human flesh. And the mystery of it is that without emptying himself of any of his limitlessness as God, he embraced limits in a human body. Without ceasing to be God, he became man. And God made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, without boundary and without limitations, God loved you so much that he suffered the just punishment for your sins. That is the most important stop-you-in-your-tracks aspects of God's infinitude. The fact that he loved you so much that he went to the cross for you. Let that good news flabbergast you this morning. He loves you. He hears you. He cares for you. And he forgives you. Let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing and you are Great, indescribable, uncontainable. In your great humility, you took on the limitations of a human body without giving up your limitless nature as God. And those two natures were united together in one person. And that's a mystery that makes our brain hurt. And you went to the cross as the God-man to pay for our sins so that we could know you, the infinite God. We are so grateful that you hear our prayers. We are so grateful that as Solomon prayed, you hear and you forgive. Lord, if there's anyone running from you this morning, pierce their hearts again now. May they understand that it is your kindness that leads them to repentance. Lord, let your kindness cause all of us to repent this morning and to turn to you. And may you receive honor and glory in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.